Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you. Glad that you're here today. I know it's cold. You know, I celebrate. I celebrate that uh, extreme cold or snow on the ground doesn't stop you. And I've noticed that because you can just imagine where I came from. Uh, that, that's going to be a reason why some don't show. Now, before I get into the message, before I actually get into that, I want to make sure that the men that are participating in the drama, that you realize that the schedule uh, of our practices is right here on the front row. So after church, please get one of those so you'll make sure that you show up for the practices. Now, again, before I get into the message, uh, this is National Right to Life Sunday. Uh, many went to Washington, D.C. and marched for the right to life uh, in Washington, D.C. on Friday. Um, let me just give uh, some encouragement to you that if you know a young lady that is caught between a rock and a hard place and has found herself to be expecting a child, would you be that beacon of light in their life to encourage them if they cannot have that child, cannot keep that child, that they would consider letting someone adopt that child? Now, right here in Kankakee County, uh, Joyce Hill with the River Valley Pregnancy Resource Center can coach them through uh, how they can have their child adopted to a loving family who cannot have children and would love to love that child. And so please consider that. Get your information. There is partial um, adoption. There is a full adoption or open adoption. There's closed adoption. There's all types of options, whereas 30 years ago, not so much. Very difficult years ago, but now... Their families can be blessed with that. So pass that encouragement on to someone as we pay a tribute today to the national right to life uh, for speaking up for the unborn child. Okay, now we're getting to the message. And uh, you can tell by what we've talked about last Lord's Day, as we've looked at everything, all the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You've all seen that mirror on the right side of your vehicle and those words down at the bottom uh, that say that. All right, last week we talked about heaven. Today we're going to talk about hell. Next Lord's Day, I want to talk about victory in Jesus as we talk about the Lord's return from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that's next week, and that will be the last one. All right, so have you ever noticed those words in the mirror? Have you ever noticed lights in the mirror? <laughs> uh, yeah, don't raise your hand. Uh, there's all types of things that uh, show up in the mirror and objects are closer than they appear. But then the next one, the Grim Reaper, is going to be in the mirror of everyone's life. And uh, like it or lump it, uh, that day is coming for each one of us. And it can be sooner than we think. Can be sooner than we think, but everyone will see the Grim Reaper. All right, let me say that as I speak about hell, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear they are. Um, hey, listen, a lot of people do not choose Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear, very plain about hell. I, I, do, not like, I do not like preaching about hell. That's not my favorite subject, but Jesus spoke about it, and therefore it's real. It's, it's going to happen for millions of people. That's why our responsibility of spreading the love of Jesus Christ and, and the hope of the good news, the gospel, 
is so important. But nevertheless, uh, a friend of mine was uh, at a revival meeting speaking, and on Monday night, he spoke on heaven. And a little girl was going to sing the next night, and she loved that message on heaven. And so uh, she came out, and she was just... She was just dressed so nice. And ladies, I don't know what those dresses are called when they, when they puff out. I, y'all not going to help me either, are you? Okay. The ones with the inner tube underneath, and it gets blown up. But anyway, that precious, beautiful little girl came up to sing her song. And the preacher that night was going to speak on hell. And after she uh, twirled and twisted and pulled at her dress and sang her song... The preacher got in the pulpit and he said, that little girl has taken all the hell right out of my sermon. And uh, you know what? There are people today that would love to take hell out of the Bible picture totally. Well, we have to speak about these things because Jesus spoke on them. And so they are real. Timothy Keller said, moderns reject the idea of a final judgment and hell It's tempting, he says, to avoid such topics in our lessons and in our sermons uh, by uh, neglecting the unpleasant doctrines of the historic faith will bring about a counterintuitive consequence. Now think about that. He's saying that if they're there, we have to speak on them. We're not presenting the whole picture if we don't. He says there is an ecological balance to the scriptural truth that must not be disturbed. Let me say that again. He said there is an ecological balance to the scriptural truth that must not be disturbed. All right, so let me explain it this way. You go to the jungle, you go to the forest, and there are predatory animals in the jungle. And those predatory animals, they they eat on the less fortunate in the food chain. You're, you're all very familiar with the food chain. But nevertheless, uh, the, the, the balance of the animal kingdom will be upset if we were to get rid of these uh, animals, these predatory animals. And so we, we realize that God gave us the animals, and we realize that the lion is going to eat Bambi the deer. Now, we don't like that picture, we don't like that scene, but you know that's the way it is. In the same way, if we play down doctrines in the Bible that we do not understand, or if we play down doctrines that we don't particularly like, then we are upsetting the scriptural balance in Scripture. And therefore, the loss of the doctrine of hell and judgment and the holiness of God do irreparable damage to the things that we find comfortable in Scripture. Our understanding of God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, our human dignity and value to Him. In other words, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we must preach the bad news as well. We must. A buddy of mine has already gone on to be with the Lord Mark Milliter told me about 30, 35 years ago, he said, it takes a positive and a negative to get a charge. And that is true with preaching all good news. We've got to understand why the good news is so good. 
when we preach the bad along with it. So if you turn over in your scriptures to 2 Peter, we'll look at a text there in chapter 2 in 2 Peter right in just a moment. Now, as we scope out hell today, we're going to see that hell is a place of darkness. It's a place of fire. It's a place of pain. There'll be no rest, no relief. There will be no hope. And so that is the gist of this message today. So let's go ahead and read there in the scriptures, 2 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 9. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, in this text, we, we first of all want to point out in verse 4, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. And he describes hell as pits of darkness. Now, first of all, let's understand that they borrowed language from other cultures if it was relevant, if those that they were writing to understood that language. And so here, for the word hell, they used the word in, from Greek mythology about the subterranean abyss, that deep, that deep pit, the bottomless pit. And so when he used that word for hell, he reached back to that culture and, and borrowed that word. But the idea of pits of darkness in verse 4, uh, that is used, a Greek word that used the idea of a, a deep pit that hunters would dig in order that wild animals that they were trying to kill would fall into those pits going after the bait and they could not get out. And that's the description that Peter, the apostle, the one that walked with the Lord, used in this text. Now, first of all, we see that hell is a place of darkness. Here in our text, it's said in verse 4, pits of darkness. In Jude, chapter, uh, it's only one chapter, it's verse 13, it says, For whom the black darkness has been reserved. Then in Matthew 25, 30, a master dealing with his um, unfaithful one-talent servant, he said, he is to be cast into outer darkness. So I want you to see a progression of this idea. The idea goes from uh, pits of darkness, blackness of darkness, and outer darkness. Now, the question could be asked, why is hell... Why is it dark? I mean, you know, anytime we see the great artist of past centuries paint about hell, it was always with orange and yellow flames. But why is it black? Why is it darkness? 
Well, the, the truth is, the Scriptures do not tell us why it is. But get this. Let's follow this thought. In James 1.17, it states that God is the Father of light. The Father of lights. Jesus Himself is the one and only true light of the world. And then in 1 John 1.5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness. Now, I'm turning over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I want to read 7 through 9. Take a moment to turn there. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. To give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, listen to this, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And so that idea of darkness will be the uttermost darkness because God Himself is not there. Let me uh, turn over to Psalm 139 and verses 7 through 12 and read this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, now Sheol is a, is a word, it, it meant the nether world. What, what is that? It's when, when unsaved people, they do not believe in God, they do not follow Him, when their soul leaves their body and their body decays on earth, it's buried or cremated, their soul goes somewhere. The Christian goes to be with the Lord. Unsaved people go to the Sheol. They go to the nether world, and that's where they wait for the judgment. And so we keep reading in verse 9. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to God. You know, we've even got animals that are nocturnal. They can see at night, whereas you get up during the night, you might be stepping on your pet if they don't move because we cannot see in the dark. But dark and light is the same to God and he can see. But the point David is making in this text is our God is with us. He is uh, omnipresent. God is everywhere. And the point that I bring it up this morning for, we can find great comfort that our God sees all. But God will not be in hell. It's darkness there. And in God, in Christ, there is no darkness at all. So, there is one place that God is not. He is not in Gehenna. God is not in the everlasting place of eternal destruction. And seeing that God is not there, 
makes it a true hail. See, the, God blesses uh, the rains on the earth, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. He extends his grace to all. But there, there will be no grace whatsoever. It will, after the judgment day of God, it will be a place of darkness. Now, I'm not afraid of the dark, but I don't want to spend eternity in darkness. Many children are afraid of the dark. They want a light on of some sort, and, and that's okay. Elderly folk have, have told me that they couldn't sleep, and all night long they stayed up, and the, the, the night was just unbearable. It was too much. But when day came, they felt better. We can understand that. There are people to the extreme north of us that suffer from SAD, as appropriate, sad, seasonal, affective disorder. And it's from not being able to see sunlight for so many months out of the year. Darkness eats at us. And isn't it ironic that those who want to walk in darkness here in this world, and they do not want to serve God, they do not want to come through Jesus Christ, that they are going to have to spend eternity in darkness. I'm so glad that Jesus is the light of the world and that he is our light and we serve him today. But secondly, also hell is a place of fire. How so? Well, we find in Matthew 13 that it is a furnace of fire. Mark 9, that the fire is not quenched. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse 10, it says, uh, the fire and brimstone, verse 15, the lake of fire. Matthew 3, that there is a baptism of fire. That is, there is an immersion. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible fate. And we wish it on no, no one. There is no doubt that hell is fire. Now here, church, how do you reconcile a place of fire and yet a place of darkness at the same time? Fire illuminates. Well, not necessarily so. It just does in our world. Now, man by his own chemical ingenuity has created fire that does not illuminate and then I'm reminded of the time I ate a hot pepper. <laughs> well, it didn't illuminate, but it lit me up. In Exodus 3, we read of Moses taking his shoes off in front of a bush that was burning. So God created one that illuminated, but it would not consume. And so there's all types of fire. Thirdly, today, there is the uh, hell is a place of pain. We know it's a place of darkness, according to the scriptures. We know that it's a place of fire, but it's a place of pain. Matthew 25, 30 says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there, with that, when people are in intense pain, they grit their teeth. Listen, I say God have mercy. God have mercy. But do you see that God is having mercy here in this life? He had mercy on you and me. He has mercy now. There will be no mercy. 
No mercy whatsoever. And then fourth, hell is a place of no rest. In Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus said, Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 14, verse 11. And they shall have no rest, day or night. And do you know why? In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, it reminds us that the wicked are in torment. And that's why there is no rest. Can you think of anything more relaxing than after you come off of work, a full shift, and you're exhausted to come home and eat a meal and then to head for your favorite chair, your recliner, the sofa? Maybe you come in so exhausted that you just flop over the bed and seep into a coma, and you don't wake up till the next morning. We know what rest is. We know when we need it. But in hell, there'll be no rest. In Revelation 13, 14, for us that are going to heaven, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. We're going to our rest. The torment of hell is there is no rest. There is no relief. Number five, there is no relief. Jesus told a story in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, uh, with the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man wanted, do you remember? He just wanted a drop of cool water to be placed on his tongue. Why? Because he was in agony in this fire. He was in agony. Robert Ingersoll, an atheist, infamous skeptic, said, Well, if I had been there, I would have given the rich man some water. And what this atheist doesn't realize is there is no water. To give them. He overlooked the fact that the rich man did not have to be there. Our lifestyles that we choose will determine where we will spend eternity. The rich man did not have to go to hell. And people today do not have to go to hell. Do you realize that hell was not even created for man? Do you realize that? that according to Matthew's gospel, chapter 25 and verse 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, he calls them accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And that is whom hell has been prepared for. But Jesus spells it out plain, that by the way we live, we will give an account at the judgment day, and there'll be a separation from the sheep and the goats. Now, that idea of accursed ones, it means those who are devoted to death. It means uh, those who are irretrievably condemned. And that is who will be in eternal fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Number six, there is no hope in hell. Matthew 25, 46, And these shall go away into everlasting 
punishment. Now, how long is eternity? A little boy loved peppermint sticks, and he wanted, he said, I want a peppermint stick that only has one end on it. I guess that would be a, a perpetual, eternal peppermint stick, wouldn't it? Well, nevertheless, suppose that this world we live on, this globe, this earth, this planet, almost 25,000 miles in circumference. What if this earth wasn't made of rock and sand and the things that we know, but it, what if it was made of solid steel? 25,000 miles around circumference, solid steel. And what if we took an ant? Yeah, that's, that's right, an ant, and placed that ant on the equator, which was going at a top speed, of one-seventeenth of one mile an hour. And when he had gone around the earth over and over and over and over until that ant wore the solid steel earth completely in two halves, that's less than eternity. Now what about if we had, an, had a termite to come and eat this large building? What if all of this building, no steel in it, it was all wood? And how long would it take that termite to eat this entire building? What if, what if all of Mantino was made of wood? How long would it take a termite to eat the entire village of Mantino? Or what about for uh, Illinois? What if all of Illinois was nothing but wood? How long would it take a termite to eat through the entire state of Illinois? How long would it take a, a termite to eat through the entire nation if she were made of all of wood? How long would it take for a termite to eat all of the wood on the entire planet? No matter how long it would take, that's less than eternity. Eternity is forever and ever. If hell would just last a hundred years, there would be hope. If hell would just last a thousand years and someone spent one day in hell, there's still hope. Because after 999 years, 364 days, there's hope. But the Bible tells us that hell lasts forever and ever. Dante, in his famous poem, The Inferno, said that there was a sign hanging over hell's entrance. And it says, abandon all hope, ye who enter. Isn't that true? There is no hope in hell. Matthew 11th chapter, please turn with me there, please. In Matthew 11, I want to uh, look at verses 20 through 24. Let's read there. Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Jesus then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Hmm. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? 
You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Well, what was Tyre and on sin? What were they punished for? Well, because they were wicked and God destroyed the blatant evil of Sodom and Gomorrah. After Jesus preached in Chorazin and Capernaum and in Bethsaida, you see, they saw his miracles firsthand. They heard his teaching and heard his preaching and they refused to believe and repent. Jesus is saying, Chorazin and Bethsaida are in trouble. I asked the question getting ready to close this morning. I wonder if there's anybody, is there anyone here in trouble? Is anyone here in trouble? You, you don't see things the way God sees it. That's just hard to digest. You won't accept it. If you turn down the teachings of the Lord, you can't have the Lord. You must accept His Word, His teachings. Maybe you've heard the news. Maybe you have been abundantly blessed by God, and you know you have. It's brought you to the cross of Calvary, but you, for, you, 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 you refuse to bow the knee before Jesus. Because, you know, there's that one little issue in the Bible. There's that one little teaching. There's that one little thing over there in Revelation. There's that one little thing in Matthew. There's that one little thing over in Genesis. And you just can't digest it. I encourage you, my friends, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This story of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum came out of that Matthew 11. Let me tell you what happens at the end of the chapter. I bet you're more familiar with these words. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Praise God. The positive and the negative to get a charge. We must speak of and teach the negative in order that grace and love and mercy are more attractive. More importantly, we must preach truth. We must preach truth. I know that there are preachers today who have sweetened the gospel by saying certain things are no longer sin anymore. Maybe, maybe others, even here, have said that before. The power of the gospel is not making us feel good about ourselves uh, by telling us that sin isn't sin, and that's not wrong. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. 